This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you guys are, you know, doing your thing, starting the week off. Taking care of yourselves. Oh, we got a whole beautiful week ahead of us. <laughs> What's possible this week? As always, I'll make sure you are centering your day in self-care every day, some form of self-care. I want you to be focusing on that and uh, joy and pleasure, a form of joy and pleasure. Maybe it's eating something you wouldn't normally eat. Whatever it is, I don't care. Just give yourself moments. Punctuate that hard day with little moments of joy and pleasure for nothing more than just that. And it is what it is. And also just lots more rest. Going to keep reminding you all that. Got a great show planned. Um, Going to be talking about a few things around open relationships. There is so much to talk about that. People are always reaching out to me with questions on that. It's the wave of the future, whether it's for you or it's not. There's so much we can all learn about ourselves in that. And we're also going to talk about how to raise emotionally mature and confident and available quote unquote boys, people that are male identified, definitely have the uh, options limited for them around what we will socially allow or accept in terms of their emotional expression. And it's quite sad because it's very limiting. It's very, very, very limiting. It leaves a lot of problems, a lot of trauma. Uh, Men, people that are male identified have the highest rate of suicide. And that's often because they're overworked, don't have a relationship to any joy or pleasure. Because again, they think their job is to just work hard and our worth is tied to how much we produce and how hard we work. And that's not what it should be rooted in. Our life should be rooted in... (laughs) Is our life giving us contentment and does it have meaning and joy in it? That's the goal, not to work hard. What are we working so hard for so we can then just die? No, our lives aren't here so we work. Unfortunately, we have the kind of culture we have to work to get our basic needs met. So for many, that's what they do. But find that joy and that pleasure. That's how we're going to get through life. Um, All right, so let's talk about some stuff going on in the news. Never, never dull. I I liked this one. Um, So again, you know, I'm not a news reporter or journalist, so I like to talk about psychologically or socially related topics. Uh, I drove through Canada with license plate and it didn't go well. This is in HuffPost. So just another sign of the times. <laughs> People aren't agreeing with what we think is our American exceptionalism. And this person who is from Canada drove home to Canada. We are not legally as American citizens. We are not allowed to enter Canada right now. So that's part of why the story is interesting. However, this person is a Canadian resident. So is her husband. So thereby allows him access as well. But because they live in the States, their license plates are United States license plates. So uh, they got a lot of shade from a lot of people and they had a lot of anxiety but it's understandable because right now here in America we have that we have such high rates of covid and we're not we're not showing how that we can be responsible and so understandably other countries are like yeah you're not bringing that mess in here interesting story if you want to track that one down they go on the huff post it's it's a really really good read also um a new mexico um you know, we see so many stories about people getting shamed right so in new mexico um the democratic party and many voters they're really kind of dealing with a candidate 
uh, for the state house of representatives that has had decades ago roles in gay films. Why, why does that matter? <laughs> in fact, that makes me more confident in electing someone. Cause it sounds like they live their life, but bigger than that, like, why do I care what this person did in 1980? They didn't harm anyone. It's so fascinating to me that we'll still judge people based on things like that. Like literally has no, no relevance at all to their competence, their intelligence, their ability to fulfill the role that they're, you know, trying to get elected into doing. So God bless that. Uh, Democratic candidate Roger Montoya acknowledged having worked in the adult film industry. Yeah. Conservatives post claims, calling them out. Cool. Own it and be like, mm-hmm, and <laughs> you know, the Republicans voted in someone who's a known sexual assaulter and sexual harasser. Like that actually is something that matters. A sociopath. We literally have a person who meets the criteria for narcissism and sociopathy as our president. Like that's not concerning to you, right? The, we have quotes of what he said about what he does to women. This person who's harmed no one and did legal adult films. That's something that's upsetting. Y'all, we got a lot more work to do than I thought we did. Also, thanks to, um, Amy, <laughs> Merriam-Webster's updating their definition for the word sexual preference. Yep, good old Amy, who's not a feminist. Although I see these articles where people are like, "What a you know, what a uh, inspiration for women." I'm like, my God, about how to be an arm of the patriarchy and how to be a bigot. Please stop. But she used the word sexual preference as a way to shame people that are in the LGBTQA community, trying to say, "Eh, it's their choice." You know, it's such a minimization. Never apologized. Never corrected her thinking. She just appeased everyone by saying, "Ah, well, if you were offended, I'm sorry." So she's sorry for offending, not sorry for her really problematic views. So Merriam-Webster updated the definition of sexual preference. I love this. Um, it's online entry for sexual preference now notes its offensive connotation following the use of the term by Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett. So I'm all about that. Um, Webster, uh, Merriam-Webster's definition for the word preference showing how the word had formerly been associated with orientation, referred to as sexual preference, but now has been tagged as offensive when used in that way. I love that. So the the, the official term is, uh, the official statement is, the term sexual preference as used to refer to sexual orientation is widely considered offensive in its implied suggestion that a person can just choose who they are sexually or romantically attracted to. Bam, blam, thank you, ma'am. So anyway, well done. I love when um, institutions like the dictionary show up to correct injustices and also throw a little shade. All right, y'all, we got a great show planned for you. Question that is up on our uh, Loveline IG page. Wait on that. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. <laughs> All right, let's talk about relationships. Gosh, it's so interesting. Um, when I say, you know, what's going on in your relational world, it's in our culture, we immediately go romantic, right? But we're all always in a multitude of relationships. Think about it. We have relationships if we're a family member, you might be a parent or a child. We have relationships with colleagues and coworkers, maybe your boss, maybe your colleague. We have relationships with friends. And then we get into the romantic part, which is quite complex. There's so many different labels and titles for that. So, you know, we're very relationally driven. We seek relationship of all different kinds. And even for those that are more introverted and take time away, you're still being very relational, psychologically and emotionally. You still exist within relationships, even if you're not actively seeing someone, right? We overly depend upon concretizing, physically seeing or participating or you know holding something for us to believe it's truth or it's realness. But relationally, often it exists just in our minds. So if you're traveling, if you're alone, we still have relationships that are going on. And so our work really psychologically is on our relational selves. 
You know, every song is about relationships, every movie, every book, most conversations. And it's such a powerful entry point for us to really learn what our work is. Now, when we are talking more about the, the romantic, uh, you know, level of relationality or relational functioning, it tends to be the most difficult. And that's because each relationship requires a different part of us. And we use this word in psychology. It's got an extensive amount of research and literature behind it, but it's called the attachment system. And it's basically what happens when we enter something romantic. And the old theory was very much rooted in your parents set you up for this working model around how you see relationships and others. And on one hand, it is true. Our parents will train us to see relationships and others as safe and intimacy and closeness as something that's tolerable or not tolerable. Because again, if you're raised in a family where there's not a lot of vulnerability or honesty or transparency, we don't learn how to seek how to tolerate, or even how to find joy in a lot of closeness and intimacy, quite the opposite. So our parents do give us the foundation, or if our parents, so if our parents are overly boundary, that's gonna work against us, right? But if our parents are also boundary less, then we're gonna get flooded, and that's gonna make us even more phobic or maybe avoidant. And that's what happens. We, we tend to either be someone who thrives in relationships, or they make us anxious, or we're avoidant of them. Those tend to be the three styles. And we can see some beginnings of that in our relationship with our parents as children, but also every relationship we have after that will reinforce or heal. It moves us closer towards that or away from. And that's what you hope, is that as an adult, you choose very healthy partners that start to heal whatever wounds might have been created in early childhood and then early levels of socialization. And we hopefully date partners that train us to see that closeness is safe, right? That intimacy is safe that we can let our guard down. And that's why it's really important to pay attention to the health of the people that we're in all the different relationships with. We don't wanna have relationships socially, familially, sexually, romantically, that again, create those early injuries. We wanna have the opposite, ones that kind of liberate and free us, ones where it's safe to practice these things. And so you wanna look for people that really have done the work, and that's hard. And I say this to clients all the time, the healthier you get and the more work you do, the smaller the pool becomes from which you can maybe be friends or date because you expect more and expect better. And that's a good sign because most of us aren't doing the work. Very few people have really healthy relational selves. And so you really wanna be thoughtful about those you bring yourself around. Because again, like I said, it, it either brings you back or it pushes you forward. You know, you wanna be with people that have the bar as high as yours. And also you wanna be with people that are willing to do the work. And that's why one of the most powerful signs of someone being with a good partner, someone who's willing to sit down and talk and to get feedback and hear what it's like to be in a relationship with them. Because that says that change can come, you know? Because we have to be able to sit down and talk about how does it feel to be together. But the other piece is that there is something about romantic relationships when we attach that has a regressive component where we problematically frame what is a healthy relationship and we, we sometimes frame it and pathologize it by saying it's codependent or it's a fusion, but that is part of what happens. Our brains and our nervous systems in these attachment-based, really healthy romantic relationships, they wire, they fuse. And we do essentially then infect each other with emotions. You know, it's like a deeper level of intimacy, which is also why during a breakup, there really is a break. There's a loss. Something's been severed. Something's been pulled away. And we, we notice that. We feel that. Because a, a healthy relationship is an us and a we. It's going away from me and it becomes an us and a we. So if when you're thinking about your relationship, if it's always you against them, not the right model, something's off there, it should be us and we. And starting to think about some of the decisions you make, how that impacts the relationship. That's a healthy sign. There's not meant to be a lot of individualism. An individual still exists, 
I always advocate for you doing things on your own and having a life of your own. Your partner doesn't need to be a part of everything, but there is a level of fusion. Individuality, individualism doesn't exist in the same ways, right? It's not my life run the same way it was before and someone's dropped in. You know you're in a relationship when there's some disruption to that, when you have to accommodate. Because relationships are about you and this person co-creating something new. So there has to be a movement away from what your life was like before them. What are we co-creating? We're now an us and a we. We're now considering how all of our decisions and the way our life is structured impacts each other. So it can't just be, ah, well, I work a lot and I always did and you knew that and you can't ask for that to be different. Oh, of course I can. Of course you should because now I'm here and now we create something different. You now accommodate me and I accommodate you. It's not just, again, this is how your life runs. You drop me in and it's compatible if there's no disruption or any changes that need to be made. We, we have to seek that. That's, that's a healthy part of that. So you want that. You want someone who's open to that right? That's a sign of relationality. It's like a new identity. It's a movement towards something else. So that's necessary. So really, again, seek people that are open to that journey with you, understanding that it's a feedback loop, understanding that there, there is a necessary and healthy level of shift and disruption. Because that's what some people call, well, it's not really compatible. You know what I mean? They weren't, they weren't the kind of personal relationship that allowed me to just run things as they were before. Don't pathologize that. Uh, we'll be back though in two minutes, giving you the two minute promise. And when we come back, oh gosh, we're going to talk about something really important. And it, it has to do with some of the different relational styles and, and struggles that are coming into my office. You know, a lot of the things I like to talk about on the show are things that I see over the week, having, you know, obstacles that people are kind of struggling over, you know, falling upon. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And um, I want to talk about relationships again. We were talking about that in the last segment. And we were just kind of talking about how expect change, expect shift. Relationships are co-creation. They're never going to look the same, right? And as we move forward in the same relationship, it's allowed to evolve and change. There's no such thing as, well, that's just how it was or that's just who I am. No, it's allowed to change. But also, it can look different from partner to partner because we should be accommodating who we are. What do these two people need? Not what did my last relationship need or what did my last relationship look like, but what, is, what does this one need? Or what do we need now? We are now maybe in theory 10 years in and maybe we have children, maybe we don't, maybe the children are gone. What do, what do we need now? And so there's an evolution, it's an open system. A lot of people think relationships are just a box to check and once we quote unquote have it, all's well, but that's that's business values, that's capitalism. No, it's not. you don't have a relationship, you don't have a person. It's something you participate in, it's something you help create, it's something you have, it's like a ball that you keep in the air, it's an action. Relationship is a verb, right? It's not a noun, it's not something we get, possess, and then we're done. It's something we have to be feeding and participating in. And that's always part of it. It's like a plant, are you checking out the amount of sunshine's getting, giving it water? It's not just something you get and stick in a drawer, but some people do that and they stop working at it. They stop attracting, they stop flirting, they stop romancing. They're like, oh, well, we're in a relationship or we're married, we don't need to do that. Yes, you do. That's what gives it energy. That's what makes it a source of joy, right? So see it as an open system, keep contributing to it. But you know, recently I'm hearing a lot of people talking more and more about different open styles. And I talk about this on Loveline frequently. But one of the things that was brought up that I was trying to point out to everyone is, it's not a solution. It can be for some, if they're not built for monogamy, or monogamy is not working, or there's been some major change around sexuality. But in general, it's, it's, in a, it's, 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 
it's an interest, right? It's something that you want to try. It's something that might make more sense for you. It's something that might resolve some of the tensions that never were meant to be. Now, no relational style is inherently perfect or right. Monogamy has plus and minuses. All the different open styles have pluses and minuses. And so again, it's really about how do the two of you want to approach that? And I tell people all the time, first make sure that your relationship is in somewhat of a secure place because opening it up adds complexity. It adds new things to consider, even if it's for the better. More more energy is directed towards something else, more time, more focus, but it's not necessarily gonna be a solution for whatever problem you and your partner have, unless your problem is rooted in, we weren't meant to be monogamous, we don't necessarily have a lot of sexual compatibility or chemistry. Of course, that's part of a solution for that, for the couple that wants to keep everything else they have and don't wanna end the relationship over those pieces. But it's not necessarily a solution if the relationship isn't working outside of those sexual factors. And some couples think we're fighting a lot, we're not getting along, maybe I'll just start to get some of these needs met elsewhere. And for people that are poly, they'll tell you that it's more responsibility, right? It's, it can be more energy depleting because there's other people to be responsible for because that's the whole thing, is it's another, right? It's not lesser than, it's not less significant, it's a person who still has a right to all the care and attention and presence that you bring to it if you're in the poly perspective. Now, if it's just about sexuality and just looking for something outside with low stakes, that's fine. But again, remember, there's not one right way for everyone. But my larger point is if you're not able within the context of your current relationship to have honest conversations about who you are and what you currently need and the changes you'd love to see happen, you're gonna take that into the open relationship too. And that's my point when I say it doesn't necessarily solve anything because it's still you with the capacities you struggle to really resolve or the ones you lack or the ones you aren't really practicing, you're taking that forward. Clean up and do the work of making your relationship what you need it to be, right? Work on tolerating more intimacy and closeness. Work on understanding and hearing critique. Don't just think, that by opening up the relationship, I can ignore the work that I need to do as a relational person. Because your primary relationship is really letting you know where the work is. I mean, that's what I love about a relational perspective is essentially it's a mirror being held up saying, here's where you are when you're in relationships with people. Here's what your struggles are. Work on it. And some people say, no, I'm not gonna do that. Well, you don't have to, but then that is gonna keep showing up in all these other relationships in different forms because it's a different person, but those lacks will always be with you. And there's no quick fix by saying, well, we're just gonna be non-monogamous, we're just gonna open. It's just moving the deck chairs around, but that Titanic, that ship is still going down, right? That work still needs to be done. I remind people that. It's the same thing when people try to blame the partner for all the issues. Okay, I hope. And then if so, the new partner will be great. But if you are a co-conspirator in some of those issues and you're a co-contributor, you're just, you're just gonna be setting that up again, but just in a different context with a different partner and whatever else they bring into that. So it's like, stay put and do that work. Let your partner hold up that mirror and it's very difficult to look in and see who am I as a partner. And this person in front of me can reflect that back. But that work can't be done on your own. And that's why I love looking at who we are and all the different relationships we're a part of. Because that's where we get to see where our relational work is. When we're on our own and we're disconnected from all of that, life's a lot easier. That's the easier position, less needs to be done. Question of the night, it's up on our Loveline IG page. That's always in the stories, so weigh in on that. And then we're gonna be doing some DMs. Uh, Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com.
All right, y'all. Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. I feel like I'm stuck. Ah, how many of us have that feeling right now? And I'm not really sure what to do about it. So a while ago, my sister Jessica got a really amazing opportunity to go up to San Francisco. We live in LA to work at a hospital up there during the pandemic. Ah, thank you, Jessica, for all you're doing as a frontline worker. I applaud you. Well, it's been going so well that they've asked her to stay indefinitely, except she left her five-year-old daughter here with me. Oh man, here we, here, here's where it goes. Oh, I'm sorry that you're even in this situation thus far. Now, I agreed to it at the beginning because it was only going to be three months. Then it turned into five, and here we are. She said that she can't take her daughter up there because she's working 24-7, and since I work at home, I can be here to watch her and take care of her. But, and I know I'm being selfish here, but I miss quiet. I miss sleeping in my own bed. I don't have kids right now for a reason. She's a single mom, there's no dad, and I have a boyfriend, but even he's getting over it as well. Not that she's a bad kid, but like I said, we don't have kids for a reason. <laughs> oh, bless. Am I wrong here or what can I do? Uh, this isn't about right or wrong, you know, um, because it's both and neither, you know. Is it your responsibility to take her children? Of course not. Is it a very loving, kind thing that you've chosen to do? Absolutely. Look, it's a tough time on everyone. I don't know what's going on in your home. And also, you know, this is the thing that when we were talking yesterday about abortion. Not everyone is built to be a parent. Not everyone has the right temperament or skills. And I think that that's important to recognize. Do I have what it takes to be a parent? And it's okay to say no, that you, for whatever reason, don't think you have what it takes, or even bigger than that, you have a right to say, I'm not interested in that. That's not being selfish. That's just being who you are and where you are. It shouldn't be seen that everyone should want to have children and anything other than that is bad or wrong. No, it's one option of many. We're allowed to co-parent. We're allowed to community parent where there's multiple people raising a child. We're allowed to have a child with our best friend. I have a couple people in my life where they had a child with their best friend. One is gay, one is straight, one is lesbian, one is gay. I, they have beautiful families. We have a right to be just a niece or, I'm sorry, an uncle or an aunt or just a good friend. I've helped at times co-parent my best friend's child and I really stepped in as like an uncle plus. All beautiful things. So you're allowed to center what your life needs as well. And um, I'm glad your sister's up there doing what she's doing, but that doesn't come before maybe what's best for her child. And if you're really realizing that you are not suited to raise a child, then your sister Jessica needs to center what the child needs and the child then needs to be with her. And so she maybe needs to leave the job, take a different job or tell the job, listen, I need reduced hours. My child will be coming up here and the job has to understand that. Listen, we're talking about people. People come before jobs. People come before work always. I will never agree that a job should have more meaning or value than a human being ever. Your job should be the one that's interrupted for a human's needs and the child needs to be with her mother. And if it's not working for you or it's not the right thing, I don't want that coming out on your on the child. I don't want you acting that frustration out. I don't want it impacting your relationship negatively. All these factors matter. So it's Jessica's responsibility to figure it out. You do have a right to say, I've reached the limit of what I can offer. Your job needs to reduce your hours or maybe you need to come back here. Yeah, absolutely. You have my full support in that. Um, <clears throat> You've done all you can do, but you don't have to be a martyr and it's not your responsibility to center the child unless that's something you choose to do. And I'm proud of you for what you've done thus far. 
but you have a right to realize it's not working anymore. And that's the whole thing about, the, again, the abortion topic. Not everyone has what it takes in terms of their mental health, in terms of their financial health, in terms of their social health. I'm not in a position to have a child right now, and I have far more financial and health and social support than most people, and I wouldn't be willing to do it. I would also be saying, I've reached the limit I can with caretaking this child. It's now negatively impacting my mental health and my social health, or maybe even your financial health, right? God bless. So that's my thoughts. Uh, Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world we want you to explore with confidence. Coming up next, talking about raising boys, quote unquote, with emotional intelligence. Question night up on our Love on AG page, weigh in on that, and then some more DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back talking about emotions. Yep. Oh man, it's so gendered. I, ah, oh, geez, I was watching, uh, it was like a lecture, and they showed, they showed a uh, clip of this study that they did where they had a couple different teachers. Um, this was videotaped and they talked to the children. These were grade school children. I think they were anywhere from, gosh, first grade to like fourth. And they were asking them, what emotions is it uh, okay for women to feel, for girls to feel? And they, they, they had different emotions written on the board and they had a box. And they're like, you know, here's, put in this box the emotions that girls can feel. Basically, they're fi- allowed to feel almost all of them. What was interesting is when they said, what emotions can guys feel? Men were not in the children's minds allowed to feel any of the emotions that would have gone under something more vulnerable or soft. And it was really heartbreaking to see that, that the ones that they agreed on are men are allowed to feel angry, frustrated, and all these different emotions that fell under aggression. And that's something that they're raised believing and socialized in the thinking. We see it in television and also in the early family unit. And so anyone that's male identified really has to do the work, Sally as an adult, to unlearn that. And I see it in the couples coming into my practice where a lot of the people that are female identified are looking for and wanting their partners to be, if they're male, more vulnerable, more sensitive. But, you know, again, think about it. Even in early childhood, girls are, are, are socialized to play games that are face-to-face and involved conversation where boys are thrown out there to play sports, which are always side-by-side and not very much rooted in conversation and vulnerability. Look at the kids, you know, girls playing the playground, very face-to-face, boys side-by-side, very competitive. And it's all about toughness. And I see parents reinforcing on that all the time. You're fine, get up. And we see that in other studies where parents will be a lot gentler and softer with babies when they find out that they're um, of the sex that would be raised, you know, in the female gender. And it's really disappointing. So how do we raise boys to feel more comfortable with their emotions, right? That's kind of the big global question that we all need to work on. First one is we just need to be able to talk about it. They need role models. So if you're a male out in the culture, talk about emotions. That's why I talk about all the time about me being sad, about me wanting to cry more, cry more in public. Such a radical act for myself as a male to be seen being emotional, right? It's seen as fragile. That's good. Fragility is okay. So it's all about modeling that. But we also want to talk about it, right? Because men often live with the pressure of feeling as though they need to be confident and in control at all times. And that leaves no room for anything vulnerable or anything that's an emotion that's difficult, right? Um, And so we want to be more emotionally honest. And that also goes back to the whole idea that we need to stop framing emotions as good or bad. There's no bad emotions. Mental health, again, is about the ability to feel a full range of emotions, all of them, and to feel them all deeply and to confidently be able to feel all of them and to feel them all deeply. We need to stop sectioning them off as good or bad for boys or for girls. That does everyone a disservice because we all experience the same emotions, right? 
So we also want to acknowledge the challenges that boys, boys face when trying to be vulnerable is that that's not going to be necessarily honored in the social world, but we need to, we need to model it. Modeling vulnerability is the key, right? Boys, may, boys might not be able to follow that example without conversations about why expressing them is important. We have to normalize and talk about why that's meaningful, why that's helpful. Some people just think, again, that the purpose of life is to always be grounded, regulated, happy, and only feeling positive things. But that's not honest and that's not real. That also leads to a lot of trauma. But if you're in a relationship with someone like that, you don't always feel like you're with a total person or you don't feel like you're with someone that you can go to and share your struggles with some of the more vulnerable emotional expressions, right? And you also want to demonstrate that it's okay to ask for help. We have this American ideal that you should be able to do things on your own. No one achieves anything on their own. We always are doing it in some form of cooperation or with the help or support of others. This whole idea of being on your own is just not true, right? But again, we want to demonstrate that you can be vulnerable, that you can need help. We need to normalize that expressing fear or uncertainty, right, is okay. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. But we need to acknowledge where our own work is and where our own limits are. And that's why I try to call myself out when I personally feel like I'm shaming or shutting down an emotional experience. And I'll say, no, feel that. Feel it during a business meeting. It's okay to be in a business meeting and to be sad. I know that that is mind-boggling for people in corporate culture because in some jobs in corporate culture, you're always supposed to be balanced. You're not supposed to cry or show sadness. I want to live in a world where we can cry and show sadness. And that's not a sign that someone's weak or incompetent or not professional. I want I want truth. I don't want professionalism. Professionalism's performative. It's robotic. It's dehumanizing. It's a lie. It's not healthy. I want people to be honest and authentic. That's the world we need to move towards. Not these false presentations of self in order to be acceptable, right? And that's why we all have work to do with how we are, how we are while others are trying to express themselves around us, the messages we give, what we shame, what we normalize. There's homophobia in there. We've heard people make references to someone who's very emotionally available, expressive as maybe they're gay or it's not seen as masculine. So now we have sexism and toxic masculinity showing up. It's such a bummer because think of how small how much smaller and limited your world is or someone's world is if they're not able to really truly be present and feel a full range of human experience. It's heartbreaking. So try to go out and just acknowledge when you're holding back and ask yourself why. What's making me hold this back? Try to acknowledge when you're limiting what you're feeling and ask yourself why. Do you want to continue to live by that? Try to go out and acknowledge when you're stopping others from fully feeling and being present with what they're feeling. That's how we, that's how we focus on mental health. Talking about it but also being a part of it. Oh, so much work to do around that. It's meaningful though. It's got a lot of value. You know, sadly people end up in my office decades, decades later wanting to do it, you know, seeing all the wreckage. Also not wanting to perpetuate that with their children, you know? Anyway, coming up next, we're gonna talk about the difference between chemistry and compatibility. It's a stumbling block that many get wrong and it leads to some problematic things in relationships. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about the difference between chemistry and compatibility. Two very distinct things. They have some pieces of overlap, but I tend to frame them as very distinct so that people have two different perspectives around which to assess what's going on in their relationship. So chemistry is initial. You can't initially assess compatibility. Chemistry is initial. It's that lust. It's that drive. It's that desire. You feel it in your body. It's about attraction. It's hormonal. 
It's not just hormonal though. Nothing is just hormonal. It's also rooted in someone living up to the desirability standards that you've been socialized within. But more importantly, it's that desire. It's that early pull. It's when you think someone is hot. It's when you want to have sex with someone. It's that necessary force that makes you swipe right on them. It's that necessary force that made you makes you take time out of your day to go on a date or to text them. It's such a powerful force. We need to have that. And not everyone even has that in the beginning. Some people try to go right to compatibility. And again, we'll get there in a minute. But chemistry is important. Why? Because that's the fire and the passion. And that's what leads to a lot of affection and sexuality and wanting to touch them and hold their hand and be close to them. It's a really beautiful resource. Okay? We don't want to shame that. It's okay to say I, I'm interested in dating people I'm attracted to because that's a strength, that's a resource, that's a tool to have attraction deeply embedded. Why? Because if compatibility is off temporarily for whatever reason, thank God you still have desire and lust for your partner. That is what will hold you in place. We want, the, we want access to that level of glue. So when we talk about chemistry, the only thing that's gonna promise is a lot of great sex and affection and sensuality and interest in being close to them. That's all that tells us. It's more of that chemical piece. Compatibility is what happens when our personalities come together. And that we can't determine right away. Because in the beginning, it's about lust. We're really letting things go. We can't really assess compatibility. People aren't really showing up at their fullest. Compatibility, fortunately or unfortunately, is best shown when you first start having some kind of conflict. Could be on the first date even. How the two of you together as a couple deal with or get through conflict or, or, or discord, that is where we start to really understand compatibility. And compatibility speaks more to long-term happiness. Because if you just have chemistry but no compatibility, it's gonna be high conflict. A lot of fire in the bedroom, but you're not gonna get along. You're not gonna see eye to eye. You have different opinions, different thoughts. You don't have good conflict resolution. When your personalities come together, it just isn't simple and easy and seamless and smooth, okay? When you have compatibility but no chemistry, you'll be very happy, you'll get along very well. But there won't be any fire or passion in your relationship. Sex will be like, eh, affection, eh, it's cute. But God, we get along. We're great parents and we travel well and we have good conversations. But you're missing out on the resource that chemistry can provide. Ideally, you have both. And it's always it's gonna ebb and flow a little bit because like I said, sometimes compatibility is off because we're not getting along or someone's hyper-stressed or someone's really tired or whatever it is. And so thank God we have chemistry. And the chemistry's gone because it's long distance or we're not having sex or whatever it is. Thank God we have the compatibility and we enjoy just being around each other. But you want both. And that's why you can't make early big decisions because that's rooted just in chemistry. It takes time to really see what it's like when a personality's come together. It takes time over the holidays. What do we like over the holidays together? What do we like on a Friday night? You know, you really have to assess what happens when we come together. And that's about long-term sustainability. But some people want more of one and less of the other. But ideally, you start to look for both. And that's where, that's where it goes to that whole quote. Just because you have things in common and are attracted to someone, aka chemistry, that doesn't mean you're compatible, right? That doesn't mean you're gonna get along, that doesn't mean you're gonna problem solve together, it doesn't mean your personality is gonna mesh. I had my own experience of that, which is what drove me, I wrote an article on my Medium page, and I was talking about that, where I was so drawn to someone, I found them so attractive, but we constantly kept getting in fights really early on. Uh, we had different thoughts about money, and who should pay, and how money's spent, and our values, and our ethics, and we just weren't compatible. When it really just came down to our personalities and sex and attractions off the table. But when you have a lot of that chemistry and that fire, it's a hook that you get stuck on because you think, oh my God, I, I have so much hunger for this person. So of course I, I'm a match for them or I'm meant to be with them, but that's just not true. 
So hear me soon, no matter how attracted you might be to someone, no matter how good the sex is, that doesn't mean you're compatible personality-wise and should be in a relationship, a committed or monogamous relationship. It might just mean have sex only, right? Again, just because you're attracted to someone doesn't mean you're meant to and able to pull off a relationship. You need compatibility for that. Um, and that really, really, really throws people off because early relational excitement can feel like everything to the detriment of really assessing the compatibility piece. And it's hard for people to believe. We can go even further and say, just because you love someone and want to be with them also means you can't necessarily pull it off and be with them. A lot of couples have to resign the fact that it's just not able to be done, even though we want it, right? Because again, the, what you're really looking for is the chemistry and compatibility and also the side piece of things in common, which kind of shows up in chemistry and compatibility, but ideally you look for all of them, you know? And when we talk about compatibility, one of the things we talk or we look at is also social compatibility. Do you like to do the same kind of social things? What do you like to do on Friday nights? That's why I tell people to ask that when they first meet someone on an app or on a date. What do you tend to do on the weekends? What is it like for you on New Year's Eve? Because again, if you're someone who likes to party and drink and use drugs and the other person doesn't, you're not really gonna have a lot of social compatibility and that's gonna be really hard. How about emotional compatibility? Is this person able to sit with the emotional expression you have? Are they equally as confident in their emotional expression? If not, that's gonna be an issue. And then also finally, intellectualism. Can this person engage me around the topics that are of interest and important to me? Because if not, that's gonna feel very lonely and lacking. Now, the beautiful thing is we can outsource a lot of these different pieces. We can make that up in our friendships. Your partner shouldn't and doesn't need to be everything and meet every need, right? You want compatibility because you're gonna be spending time with them, especially if you're gonna to live together and get in a deeper relationship. You wanna know that you can weather storms and get through conflict. And if you want sexuality, you want the chemistry. But it's okay they can't engage every other level of you. I can go, I know from myself, I can go to my hyper-intellectual friends to talk about the things I'm reading and writing. I can you know, outsource some of those aspects, some interests that a partner might wanna do. So it's okay if maybe they're outdoors and you're not. They can go hiking and camping with a friend. But again, you have to just make sure that that's something that both of you can tolerate, you know? So that's why ideally you take time and you really kind of sit and you see what happens when you come together. Um, which is also why I got to meet up with people, you know? Um, anywho, coming up next is going to be question of the night. So still some time to weigh in on that. That's on our Loveline IG page and the stories. And then we're going to be closing out the show with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. And we'll be back in two minutes with that two minute promise. All right, y'all, it's time for a question of the night. According to CNBC, the top 10 cities that have the least stresses are number one, Lincoln, Nebraska. All right, Nebraska. <laughs> number two, Boise, Idaho. Uh, let's jump ahead. Seven, number seven of the top cities with the least stress. Number seven is Madison, Wisconsin. And number 10 is uh, Montana, Billings, Montana. I love that. California's in there. Number nine, Fremont. I'm not familiar with Fremont. Ah, number eight was Burlington, Vermont. All beautiful places, North Dakota, uh, South Dakota, Idaho, Nebraska. Beautiful landscapes, right? Like just when I think about what the... Uh, landscape or the, the rural beauty that those places have it's it calms me down so i can't imagine what it's like waking up and driving around that i'm not saying these places don't have their flaws or their challenges but i just mean aesthetically or maybe i'm even you know really stereotyping but i can understand where it's very soothing and calming maybe not for everyone all right 
So would you consider moving from a high stress area to a low stress area? Now, what would be interesting is to have asked this question pre-COVID, then ask it now during COVID and the election time and compare the answers. Because I imagine now more people would be willing to go from high stress cities to low stress cities. Also just rent. Um, multitude of people apparently are moving down to Florida because everything's wide open. And so that areas like that are going to spike. California, supposedly rents are down because people in the industry haven't been able to work and they're, they're bouncing. They're like, I'm out. I knew New York City lost a lot of people because they were like, forget this lifestyle. I also know a lot of people are changing their careers during this time, which I'd love and value where they're saying, look, I want to do something different, something more meaningful, whatever it is. So anyway, the question tonight is, would you consider moving from a high stress area to a low stress area? I certainly would. <laughs> uh, first person said, yes, I'd love more. I'd love to move to any of those cities if I had money. Bum, ba, da, and that's why it's only the question of the night. It's not <laughs> what is your plan? Because of course, you know, you have to look at so many different factors. What's the social health of that area? Will I have access to the kind of community that I want around me? That's probably one of the reasons why I stay in LA. It's social health. I have access to the kind of people I want to be around, the kinds of thinkers, um, also the kinds of uh, resources. You know, like when I'm a writer, I'm out at coffee shops. So having access to a lot of those matters, just different pieces like that. So financial impact matters, social, you know, because your mental health is all tied in there. Someone else said, I'm seriously considering moving to New Zealand if Trump is elected again. I know a few people that are trying to get to New Zealand. It's not simple. So look into what that takes, especially if you're trying to work while over there. Some places are making it far easier. Um, and then some places it's not as simple. So look into that. But I appreciate that. I had some thoughts as well that if Trump's reelected, I'm not sure I want to participate in the American uh, political system. And, and can I move up with my my boo in uh, Toronto? Get the heck out of here. Thought about it. Still still am a little bit. I really have to see what happens. I'm not pro I'm not committing to fully being an American citizen uh, forever. Um, it's quite embarrassing and shame-based actually being an American citizen right now. Um, <clears throat> question tonight, would you consider moving from a high-stress area to a low-stress area? Someone said, yes, but also Fremont is still stressful, LOL. <laughs> but that's what I was saying, right? It depends on what you deem to be stressful you know, or, un or, or, or more soothing. And so I'm, I'm assuming you've been there or you live there or live close enough. Yeah, I, it really, really depends. For me, low-stress means something more rural, something with a lot more... Um, Access to environmental diversity. I want trees. I want grass. That that means so much more to me. I I'm such a big fan of areas like Portland, uh, and I know that Portland's so burnt out on people from LA moving up there and gentrifying it. So I, I definitely have an eye on that. I want somewhere where I can have a garden. <laughs> I need more earth and ecology in my life. We all do, and we need to also all have more respect from for our environmental impact. Someone else said, uh, "What do people do in the Dakotas? Stress free? LOL." I don't know what that means, 100%. <laughs> question. Uh, question tonight is, would you consider moving from a high-stress area to a low-stress area? Someone else said, I don't really think moving's the answer. There's always going to be stress wherever you go. Yeah, so it really kind of depends on what the stressor is that we're talking about, right? For some people, it's cheaper standard of living. And so, yeah, that does remove higher levels of stress if that's the cost. And some of those um, areas that are in that list, are it's cheaper cost of living. Housing's cheaper, um, and also again, access to resources, depending on whatever it is you need in terms of maybe healthcare, mental healthcare, stuff like that matters. Question tonight, would you consider moving from a high stress area to a less stress area? Someone said, moving to Italy. See ya. Aw, take us with you. <laughs> Such a beautiful place. Um, 
but I don't know if you're joking or not, but if you're not, what a beautiful place. So congratulations on that one. You know, strange times, right? We really, really, really learn about some of our deeper, deeper truths when we're in these positions where it feels a little bit more like panic or life or death. And for many, the election is a life or death issue. They're literally seeing that, you know, their gay marriage might be not honored and they or gay couples that are maybe not gonna be allowed to get married or people won't have access to reproductive rights. I mean, talk about mental health, right? All right, y'all, coming up next is uh, the DMs. Question of the night is back up again on 11IG page and the stories for tomorrow, so weigh in on that. Also, hope you're checking out past episodes of Loveline. That is at wearechannelq.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and uh, radio.com and uh, Two Minute Promise. See you back in two. All right, y'all, we're back. Time to slide on into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms. Because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore it with confidence. Here we go. DMs always come from our Loveline IG page, so drop your questions in there. This person says, hi, Dr. Chris. This might be a bit of a personal question. But would you be able to tell us what, if any, sex toys you use or have heard about that are good to try? Just feel a little bored, both alone and with my man. (laughs) Yep, sex toys are a good addition. And always just want to point out on the front end that some people think that it's, what's the word they use? Well, either number one, they're threatened because they think it implies that they're not enough. And everyone has to understand that it's okay for people to seek different or new or more. And we can only provide, we can provide. It's okay if you cook someone dinner and they want to add more spices. It's okay if someone says, let's try a different restaurant on our Friday nights, or let's watch a different show. We have to, we have to be open to change. You know, newness and novelty are very exciting with sex. And sex toys are a great way to do that. And remember, you are still a part. You're possibly using that toy on someone. It's an extension of you. You're, you're, you're directing it. You're using it. But more importantly, sex is about connection and pleasure. And that can be done with or without toys. So if you're getting hung up on a toy replacing you or com- competition or think you're not good enough, you're not understanding what sex is about. It's not, it's not about that, right? It's about us just coming together and co-creating what we create and having fun with it regardless of how that happens, right? Um, so I used to work with a brand that I don't work with anymore, so I really don't want to give them a shout out. Um, but there's a lot out there. I think the bigger thing is using high quality materials and toys, and they do then cost more. It's not a regulated area. So when you just go on a website and order something, you cannot trust that that plastic is safe. And I'm a fan of people using actual high quality products, not things around the house, not things that are dated and not going cheap. And so go online and look for things that are higher quality and they'll tell you, they'll talk about the materials, they'll talk about whether or not they're safe to be used with certain lubes. Um, So I'm not gonna recommend anything specifically because it's really gonna be individual based on what you're looking for. You're looking for something to insert, are you looking for something external that vibrates? So that becomes a question of vibrator versus dildo. There's definitely different sleeves that you can use for masturbation with your partner, with yourself. Some are double-ended for two penises to use. Um, so it really depends on what the bodies are and the anatomy of the people you're with and what kind of thing you're looking for. I usually just say to people, go on a boutique's website, click around, see what grabs your attention. More importantly, see what turns you on. If you're looking at something that's turning you on, oh, that's the thing to purchase. But again, pay attention to the, the, the write-up about its quality and look at some of the reviews. The higher quality online sites will have that. Um, so you want to you know get things that aren't porous, things that won't break things that won't fall apart when they have, um, when they're in, what do you call, um, 
heated situations when, you know, cause you store some things and they can get hot in a drawer and that can eat away at some of the materials. So you want to really, really look into all of that. And again, always, is it safe to use with water-based or uh, oil-based lube or silicone? Cause those things can break down and eat away at the material. It can also leave stains. Sex toys often need to also be stored separate cause the two materials combined will stain or erode each other. So it's, it's a whole world you step into, but it can be very simplified. You know, everything's broken down there for you. Just clean them between each use, store them separately, and just use the right lubes. But I like it more of a process. Go on there with your partner and say, babe, let's click around. That can also be part of sex. If you get turned on while looking, you can be engaging in sexuality while looking. But each of you go on and find something that sounds hot, something you want to try, because there's a lot of things you won't even have been aware of that exist. There's even um, sheaths where if you're wanting more depth or more pressure and your partner's uh, penis or finger or whatnot isn't large enough, there's a sheath that they can put over their penis if they're a penis owner, thereby making their penis larger. It's almost like a hollow um, dildo that you put your penis in, right? So that works. Um, yeah, things like that. It's, it's such a brave new world out there. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm a big fan of, of you know, high quality sites and uh, whatnot. Okay, y'all, I'm rambling. Uh, <laughs> Question night for tomorrow's back up on our IG page. In tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about understanding love languages, something also people have been asking me a lot about and often misused and misunderstood. So we're going to kind of break down what they are, what they mean, and how to work with them and how they can enhance what we have. Also, Loveline is podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. So head on over there. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me. And you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.